Good day to you. You're listening to The Sacristy, a podcast where we seek to learn, discuss, and exalt in the faith delivered once for all to the saints, as it has been passed down in the Anglican tradition. I'm Father David Bumstead, rector of Emmanuel Episcopal Church in the Audubon Park neighborhood of Orlando, Florida, and I'm joined by my preeminent co-host, Father Matthew Ainsley, the prospective vicar of All Souls Episcopal Church, a church plant in Horizon West, Florida, which will, Lord willing, begin having services this fall. That's right. We're real, real priests with real jobs in real churches, and service times are in our bio. We'd love for you to join us for worship if you're ever in town with us. All right. Yeah. So this is episode two. Episode two. And looking at our stats on <laughs> SoundCloud, over 200 listens. Over 200 listens. Total. Lots to be proud of, for sure. So let's kind of do some math here. Yes. I've listened to it 100 times. I've listened to it 100 times. So 22, literally, 22 literally dozens of Literally listens. dozens of listens. That's very good. Total My growth. mom listened to it dozens of times. Thanks, Mom. My wife, Rebecca, listened to it 10 times. <laughs> No, but a good start. Seriously, we're yes. excited. Thank you for all of you who have uh, who have uh, listened to our work, and I hope that it is an encouragement and a blessing to you. And now we've got a nice omnidirectional mic that we're working with, so hopefully, you know, people are like, "Man, they must have yeah, Father flew Matt. out to <laughs> New York." Father Matt got a out to Abbey Road. <laughs> Father Mac got some birthday money, and instead of uh, buying a new Xbox, he bought us a microphone. So uh, thank you, Father Matt. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, today we are going to uh, talk about maybe a little bit of a hot button, maybe something that is a challenge, but certainly something that we think is very important and actually excites us. We're uh, planning on talking about obligation and obedience. That's our main topic today. But uh, before we begin, uh, this is a segment that I think we're going to call, Well, That Happened. Um, and, and the idea really being that, you know, we're priests. We're priests, like we said. And uh, we wear our collar out. We wear the, the blacks out fairly often, our clerical clothes. And um, that kind of uh, invites interesting uh, experiences. Yeah. I mean, a few weeks ago, we were walking out of Starbucks and... Remember that kid, car full of teenagers? <laughs> car full of teenagers, yeah. They looked at us like we were aliens and just started laughing. Yeah, a whole car full of just uh, yeah. laughing, laughing so hard that their car was moving. Um, and we're near Disney, so sometimes people think they're trying to figure out what land do you work in at the Magic Kingdom? Yeah. Is it, is it Fantasyland? Maybe. Is it Pioneerland? Tomorrowland? I'm a circuit rider. <laughs> I'm a preacher. Just last week, as we were preparing for this very podcast, uh, we had I, had, I think it might, have, might be the most intense, strange thing that has ever happened to me out in public. Um, so great. It was, I'm so glad I was there. You were there, and not only were you there, you probably got the most enjoyment out of it. <laughs> Uh, so let's tell the story. So uh, Father Matt and I were uh, going to a local bakery where uh, we're, we're, we're friends with the owners and we're uh, going to get a cup of coffee and a treat uh, to prepare for uh, this very recording. And so uh, we're walking to and um, this couple, uh, a man and a woman are, are walking up. They're, they're young. 
and they're walking kind of across the parking lot from us. And, you know, you just get a weird spider sense every now and then, and you're just like, what, what? There's something odd over there. I don't know what that is, but... Um, so they, they peeled off, this other couple, they peeled off and they go into uh, the pub that's close to the pie shop. And, say, and I'm like, okay, that's, that's fine. And so Father Matt and I go into the, to the pie shop to begin. Well, as we walk in, um, we're, we're ordering our coffee and, and getting a, a, like a muffin or something. And, and they, they come in. Now, this, I'm a very tall gentleman of about 6'4". And this fella is also quite tall. And, and, and his girlfriend or paramour or whatever... Uh, was much smaller than he was, but he walks in and immediately is addressing the entire room with his voice by just cussing, cussing so loud, F-bombs everywhere. It was nuts. It was nuts. And so I get uncomfortable. It's sort of socially awkward. Not a big room. Not a big room. Not a big room. Yeah. So it it took over. It took over. Definitely. The mood. Yeah. Uh, And (laughs) so... And Father Matt is actually trying to hold on. He's actually, he's actually spitting hot fire uh, in terms of podcast material. Like, where are we going to come from with this podcast? Like, where do we want to take it? Which and, all that material is now lost. I can't remember yeah, any none of, of us it can remember it. Because of what happened. Because <laughs> of what happened, right? So we sit down. And, and so this, um, they're making their order. And their order is very basic. It's, you know, a cinnamon roll and some coffee or something like that. It's a bakery, whatever. But interspersed with literally every other word is the F-bomb. And so they sit down. They sit down right behind me and his chair touches my chair even though my chair is like hugging up on my table. This fella decides, you know, it's, it's fine. I'm just gonna, just gonna let it all hang out. I'm just gonna spend, uh, take up all the space. Um, and, then, and, then, and then Father Matt is, is sitting, our computers are open, our Bibles are out, our prayer books are out and Father Matt is just spitting beautiful, beautiful like like I said last podcast, he's my preacher, so I'm just loving the eloquence and beauty of his of his presentation. And yet, there's something there's something real weird happened behind me, and so I'd listen a little bit harder to them than to Father Matt. Sorry, Father Matt, and I just hear odd things coming out of uh, the, the the young woman's mouth, and and he's continuing to cuss, and then all of a sudden, Father Matt. Stops talking. I think, I think the words out of his mouth stopped at the cross of Christ and then a long pause. He opens his eyes wide, <laughs> smiles the biggest smile I've ever seen off of his face, and he's got a very expressive face, and puts his, buries his, his face in his hands. All right, so, and then I could start feeling movement behind me because remember, this guy is like right up on me. And I'm like trying to keep it together. Meanwhile, the, the owner of the establishment is, 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 he's looking at me and this is all happening behind me. I can't see it. And the owner of the establishment looks up, does the same thing that Father Matt does. Eyes wide, huge smile, buries his head. Everybody can see what's happening and then all of a sudden I can feel it. I can feel the bodies sort of working and I can sort of feel that awkward uh, sensation of being in the exact wrong place. And of course, what had happened is this young woman had uh, started to, um, what do we want to say, initiate... Uh, uh, they were making out. Okay, yeah, they were making out. Yeah, 
yeah, a uh, millimeter from yeah, you. Like and literally, sometimes less than a millimeter. <laughs> no, it definitely felt. And the greatest thing about it, from my vantage point, was I think his language had maybe cleared out the other customers. That's right. So it's yeah. just us in there. Yeah. Every other table's available, but that seat. They defiled you. Yeah, I guess. And your holy dress. I was, I was very uncomfortable. Adorned in public as a priest should be. Yeah. And so uh, in order to, es- the escape hatch was um, a text from uh, the brewer next door, who's a good friend of ours, who I said, are you open yet? Can we run over there? And, and he said, what happened? And then so we told him. And so that is uh, just a brief kind of snapshot into... The world that we live in, uh, the the kind of stuff that happens to priests, really to anybody. I mean, anybody who was in that store that morning or that afternoon would have had a very similar story. So I hope, uh, I hope that you uh, enjoyed that. I'm not really sure, but we've short we've shared it with you. So there it is. <laughs> now, now you can deal with it. All right. So now we're gonna get into the calendar. Uh, we're recording this on the Feast of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Right? That's right, yes. And uh, we're going to be looking at Sunday, August 25th and following. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and begin this time by praying the collect for the day for the 11th Sunday after Pentecost. Father David, the Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Grant, we beseech thee, merciful God, that thy church being gathered together in unity by thy Holy Spirit may manifest thy power among all peoples to the glory of thy name through Jesus Christ our Lord who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. Amen. What do we got? Well, uh, we've got a few. It's a busy, uh, it's a busy week in the Episcopal calendar. Um, on August 27th, uh, the church remembers Thomas Galladay and Henry Winter Siles. Uh, these are priests of the 19th century. They're remembered for their ministry to the deaf and hard of hearing. Father uh, Siles, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, being the first deaf priest ordained in the Episcopal Church. Uh, on August 28th, we have uh, the observation of St. Augustine of Hippo, who, of course, is a, is, is a, is a great hero of ours uh, and so many around the church, Father Matt. I mean, what can you... Yeah, right. <laughs> we could do 25 podcasts Yeah, we could do podcasts many about podcasts Augustine. about this. That's right. And many have, so... But just incredible. He's one of the guys I go to when I'm sermon prepping. Mm-hmm. I like to read, you know, what did Augustine have to say about this? Chrysostom is another one. Yes, uh, same. And he's just got so many incredible uh, sound bites and works and... Uh, such a gift to the church and continues to be. And one of my favorite quotes is, he said of the Eucharist, for Christ was carried in his own hands when referring to his own body, he said, this is my body. So Christ carried himself in his own hands. Just incredible Eucharistic uh, theology That's there. amazing. And uh, Father Matt told me about told told me about that uh, at lunch this afternoon. And I was like, I've got to I could really think and pray through that. I'm not really sure where to start, uh, but it's really it's really beautiful. Augustine can get away with it because he's Augustine. <laughs> yeah. What was that comment you made? If it was a contemporary preacher, they said, you know, when Christ at the Last Supper said, when he said, "This is my body," he carried himself in his own hand. I'd be like, 
But when Augustine says it, just kind of uncritically accept it's like, it. That's, he's Augustine. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It's <laughs> remarkable. Uh, rounding out the rest of the week, uh, August 30th is the uh, observation of Bishop Charles Grafton, who was an Episcopal bishop, an ecumenist, and supporter of the Oxford movement, and it's American expression here in the Episcopal Church. Uh, he served as the rector of the Church of the Advent in Boston, so shout out to those guys. And as I say, a total boss. And then finally, on August 31st, we remember Aidan of Lindisfarne, who's the bishop of Lindisfarne, an abbot of the major monastery there, and a missionary uh, spreading the gospel and continuing to um, rebuild, build new churches in northern England. And uh, as, as Father Matt said, uh, we are recording this on the Feast of St. Mary the Virgin, the Episcopal calendar, uh, which is a great segue uh, to our main topic, which is obedience, because, of course, Our Lady, uh, if, if, if nothing else, and she is way more than just this, but she is the picture of Christian obedience, be it unto me according to thy word. Amen. It might surprise some people that we're going to talk about uh, obligation and obedience because we're not quite old men yet. Right. Right. <laughs> it might be yeah. surprised that, you know, these guys that are right on the border of being either Gen Xers or millennials or zennials, I've heard that, you know, nah, man, mixed I'm together. I'm a millennial. I'll, I'll own it, I guess. Yeah. That we're talking about something like th- this, but uh, I want to rethink some cultural assumptions about uh, these con- concepts. Because I think in the milieu in which we find ourselves, people get nervous. It's almost like saying a curse word when you talk about religion, obedience, obligation. Maybe duty, yeah. mm-hmm. holiness. Right. And there's things that are said, and I like to think of it as bumper sticker theology. Sure. That get passed around the church and trotted out, but when examined through the lens of scripture and through the lens of the tradition, uh, don't really hold up. Yeah. And so what we want to do is um, really we're, we're talking about uh, what it means to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, that we have a, a role to play uh, in the work that, that Christ is doing with us uh, here in the church and, and the salvation of God. And so a, as we often do, we'll begin with some caveats uh, as we introduce this idea. Uh, first, it's important for me to say, um, and I think both of us to say, that we're not necessarily talking about blind obedience to, to broken authority structures, uh, we're actually talking about a holy virtue and a, uh, an obedience to godly authority. And so uh, there's a matter of discernment, of figuring out what is good and godly and holy uh, and what is broken and how we uh, are obedient to those things, uh, especially as we seek uh, to live out our vocation as Christians and in our case, Christian priests. This is a big conversation. Right. And we're going to be using lots of words that even within Christendom mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. That's a good point. And each thing that we're talking about could be a podcast. So when we talk about salvation, well, what does one mean when he uses the word salvation? I'll come back to that in a second. Uh, Grace, Mm -hmm. faith, the gospel, uh, legalism, uh, all these things, because 
salvation, say, okay, what is salvation? Some people, it's the forgiveness of my personal sins so that I avoid hell and gain heaven, which, of course, it includes that. Right. I might add that's, that's sort of a, an individualistic and almost dualistic way of looking at things because heaven is not the final destination. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. So there's an embodied existence in the new creation. And to not just put the emphasis on what we're saved from, but what we're saved, saved for, for right. which is union with God. Right. And that salvation is primary, primarily the deliverance from, of course, sin, but that which is the wages of sin, which is death, so that we can be united with God. And salvation also has these different aspects, and, and Scripture uses it uh, in different ways. In the milieu in which I grew up in, and I still think it's the case in most of the conversation around salvation uh, across denominations, is that all of the emphasis is put on conversion, right? That right. When we're talking about salvation, we're talking about that moment, right? You weren't a Christian, and now you are a Christian. Whereas Scripture uses those terms in different aspects, uh, past, present, and future. So, of course, you have Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, for by grace through faith you have been saved, right? right? So that's past tense. But then there's also a present uh, aspect of salvation, which I think is what we're focusing on today, is becoming right. like Christ and the, the way of life and the ascetical practice, which enables and facilitates our transformation and being renewed after the image of, of Christ. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul says the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, that's present tense, it is the power of God unto salvation. Right, and, and, and just to, to, to uh, point out one, one of the things that I, it's very important for us to be very clear on uh, as a caveat is when we talk about our salvation as a present thing, like it's a happening thing that's that's... Uh, coming across the, the present time frame, if you will, uh, that, that this is actually assumes the work of grace. Uh, that this is something that God is doing in, in us, right? Yes, as individuals and certainly as the church. And so uh, instead of us, you know, just trying to grind it out on our own, right? Absolutely. This is a response to grace and cooperation right. with, the, with grace, yeah. with the work of the Holy Spirit who indwells us by virtue of our baptism. Right. But I do want to finish that because salvation has a future t tense in Scripture as yeah, well, right? Yeah, exactly. Where, so you have the past tense, Ephesians, present tense in, in 1 Corinthians. But then Paul in Romans says, we're now nearer to the day of salvation than when we first believed. So it's this longing for that eschatological salvation, right? right? Of the creation being delivered from the bondage of decay and God being all in all and us being delivered fully and finally from the presence of sin and death as God's children. And even as, as, uh, as rounded out uh, uh, a presentation of our view of salvation as that is, you know, just in, in a couple minutes, uh, we do want to point out that we think of this as a beginning point of a conversation of our, about our practice as Christians, uh, not only just 
as priests, but certainly for all people, all the people of God. And what we're not attempting uh, this afternoon as we record is a systematic ascetical theology or uh, a systematic soteriology, which ascetical theology is theology having to do with the practice of prayer. Um, what, do, what do Christians do for their practice as they seek to, to live in the, in the life of grace? And soteriology, which is, of course, um, a word, a really nice word, that, that refers to how we think about salvation. Mm-hmm. So we might mention something in passing and you want us to say more about it, but we're not because this is one podcast (laughs) and we're trying to talk about the goodness of obedience and obligation and that it's something that's thoroughly biblical and thoroughly grounded in the tradition and we need to pull things back a little bit because when people start saying things like as Christians it's all about grace man it doesn't matter what you do and I'm like is that the case? Doesn't the fact that we have exhortations in Scripture, that Christ himself many times, but then his servants in the Scriptures, Paul to the churches, he's exhorting them, he's commanding them to do things, right. that presupposes obligation. And Christ himself says... Which we'll actually get to yeah. a little bit later. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Yeah. So this idea that um, obedience is sort of optional, right? Or that we only worship the Lord or pray or, or do something for him when we feel like it. I don't think that can survive even a cursory reading right. and, and, of the scriptures. Yeah, and certainly that's perhaps an overstatement of, 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 of somebody's position out in the world. Uh, you know, don't add us. Um, but it is something that I know I've heard from many pulpits. Uh, you know, that kind of like, it's fine. You know, everything's good. Go for it. Uh, But I I don't know. I I feel as if um, that there's a a way to to reintroduce, to reevaluate, and and, uh, perhaps even renew that that idea of obedience and and, um, obligation in the life of the church. Obedience is not legalism. Yeah. Because that's what you'll get into. Oh, this is legalistic. You're, You're trying to to earn your standing with God. Uh, and, and again, we've conflated all the aspects of salvation just in that s- statement, past, right. present, and future, individual, corporate. And obedience is not legalism, right? I think we understand in our contemporary world, when people say that someone's being legalistic, they're talking about someone who's really zealous when it comes to following the rules. Mm-hmm who's serious about dotting their I's and crossing their T's. And I think the thing that really grieves me sometimes is that there are people who want to obey the Lord out of love for him Mm -hmm. and out of a vision of the crucified and risen Messiah. Out of a sense of adoration. Yeah. Right. And they're being derided in the church when I think they should actually be lauded and encouraged. Yeah. And legalism is not wanting to do what's right really, really bad. That's not what legalism is at all in Scripture. When Paul talks about works, he's talking about the works of the law. What he's doing, particularly in Galatians and in Romans in these books, he's saying that you don't have to follow the law of Moses in order to be Christian. 
that you can be a part of God's family through faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That's something completely different. So when he's talking about works, he's talking about law. He's not talking about some sort of abstract principle of law. He's dealing with early Christians, many of whom are Jewish or it's Jew and Gentile communities or Gentile communities, and trying to explain to them that all are now included in total in the family of God through Jesus Christ. He's not saying, man, God just chilled out. <laughs> you know, God was really uptight until Jesus came on the scene. That's actually Marcionism, right? That's a heresy. It sounds where, pretty close. Yeah. Where we say God was one way in the Old Testament and God was another way in, in the New Testament. So just kick out the Old Testament. Yeah. And, and not to get on too much of a rabbit trail, when people are like, well, God was so harsh in... The Old Testament and not merciful, and then, then Jesus is so gentle and nice. That reveals to me that they have not read the scripture at all. Yeah. Because God is so patient with Israel yeah. in the ancient scriptures. And Jesus says some things, and I'm like, wow, I wish he didn't say that because that's really hard to accept. Yeah, and it's also hard to preach. And we were talking about that, we were talking about this in part a couple hours ago at lunch where this sort of robotic obedience that people are rightly rejecting and react, just you know, go through the motions and be a Christian and try to do enough good things, help enough old ladies across the street so that God will love you. That's a very flawed and problematic way of looking at the Christian life. And that's it's not what we're trying to propagate here. But that's never been okay. In the Old Testament, when Israel, they're going through all the motions liturgically. Mm-hmm. But God just says, hey, time out. Stop offering these sacrifices. I don't desire right. the blood of bull and goats. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The sacrifice is a contrite heart. Yeah. That's right. And, and so you can actually sense, uh, probably as you listen to this, that, that there's uh, things afoot that um that you know we're 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 i don't, I don't want to say we're reacting against but but more to the point where we're making an attempt to speak to um you know the the question uh, why is the idea of christians being uh, or, or holding up obedience uh, and obligation what is it why is that challenging why is it challenging as a concept and um you know part of it i think has to do with the the the, the recent if you will um the modern desire to be authentic. And I, I don't have a real problem with people being real. Uh, I certainly don't have a problem with people searching for authenticity. Uh, but what's, in, what's interesting about that is that if you take it sometimes to its like logical uh, uh, extent, uh, well, you said it best, I think, when you said, uh, if you ever do anything that you don't feel like doing, it's inauthentic. As if there's an aspect of our doing, it is unreal. As if uh, we ourselves are unreal, uh, which is which is actually kind of absurd if you think about it. And so um, it is. Yeah. What, what if you did that in your in your family? What if your family dynamic was predicated on your mood at the moment? Right. And some a lot of times it's because you love your wife, you do something for her that at the moment you don't feel like doing at all. Yeah. Does that mean that your love and your relationship is inauthentic because? 
you weren't at a 10 and just stoked about whatever it was, doing some menial task or some chore that you don't really want to do but would mean a lot to her and add value to her because she's busy and she's tired or whatever it is. Right. Uh, we also, I think, are, are, what's on our mind is the idea that only spontaneous things only spontaneous things are from the heart and therefore only spontaneous things are honest and pleasing, right? And so um, the idea that, that, that uh, once again, kind of uh, on the whim, right? The, the, those things that, that, um, that happen because they feel right all the time uh, really are, are worth anything, and especially as we connect them to the life of God. Um, last time we met, we talked about the liturgy, for example, uh, and so perhaps we talk about um, the way that we pray. Is it, is it true that only, only when we pray uh, extemporaneously or just in the moment, um, that that's the only real way that we pray? And we would say, uh, no, we think that, that, that there's certainly and absolutely a place for that in the spiritual life, but there's also so much more involved. Why don't we just talk about for a second, what are some obligations that we have as Christians. Yeah. And things that we should do and as as sons and daughters of God that we should press into and, and take care to do. Yeah, you know that when we were we were uh, getting ready, I, I my mind ran back to a time in seminary. Um, there was a fella who who was always looking for like the irreducible aspects of what it means to be a Christian? Like, what are the what are the smallest kernels, right, of, of faith and practice? And and I just remember thinking uh, that I don't really understand that uh, because uh, the the Christian faith practice adorns and enriches our lives. Why would I want to reduce them down? And yet, uh, the church has had some ideas on what what is. Uh, the irreducible obligations of the church. And I'm pulling from two resources, and of course there are so many. Uh, and again, if you don't hear a source that you like, sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but these are two that, that are on my shelf as devotional aids to kind of help me understand uh, my own practice. But I, I think they're helpful. One uh, of these, these uh, devotional aids is called The Practice of Religion. And in the practice of religion, uh, we hear and read about the Christian duties, the three Christian duties, which are enumerated as prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. These are the duties of a Christian because Jesus did them and commanded them, because they're encouraged in Scripture and uh, witnessed to throughout Christian history and tradition as things that Christians do because they love Jesus. And seek to proclaim him to the world. Yeah? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Pray without ceasing. Yeah. That's sort of an imperative. Help By the sort poor. of, I yeah. mean, absolutely. Yeah, imperative. exactly. Yeah. Help the poor. Uh, remember, remem- helping to remember our need for God by self-denial and fasting. The, the practice of religion also encourages the ecclesiastical duties, which are the festivals, uh, observance of the festivals and fasts of the church which, of course, includes Sundays. And this is where we probably get down to the meat of it, where we're saying you know, out loud uh, to uh, the podcasting listening public that it is a Christian's duty, obligation, and indeed invitation and blessing to show up for church on Sunday. It's that important to be with your family and your Lord. 
the writer of Hebrews, maybe Paul, probably not. <laughs> it's kind of my kind of my thing I keep going to. Yeah. <laughs> Forsake not the assembling together, which is the habit of some. Right. Thoroughly rooted. Yeah, and you know, uh, we've been reading the book of Acts in our in our Wednesday afternoon Bible study, and um, one of the things that comes up late in the book of Acts, I believe it's chapter 20, where um, we're observing the Christians being Christians um, and doing what Christians do, even in that early epoch, that early time. And it says, and they met uh, on the first day of the week and broke bread. And it, and it kind of just sits there, right? And so you get the sense that that's what Christians do. And so, you know, uh, I know that it can be difficult. Here's, the, you know, Father David, the pastor, coming out. Um, I know it can be difficult to get the family out of bed and out of the house and get them, onto, uh, get them into the car, on the bus, uh, on the train, whatever, to come to church on a Sunday. But it is that important. It's expected behavior. And not only expected, uh, but also for you, right? It, you, when you come to church to be with your brothers and sisters, one, you are, yes, you're fulfilling duty, which is excellent in the eyes of the Lord. It's great. Uh, and certainly the priests like to see you. Uh, you know, we like to see our, our, our sheep. You know, it's a very good thing to have a, a room full of people to fellowship with and to pray with and to offer uh, the Eucharist with. Um, but it is for you an invitation to receive the very blessing of God himself in Christ. Um, very good. Okay, well, uh, and so, you know, these, these duties, these uh, Christian duties, ecclesiastical duties, these are uh, to observe the commands, customs, and ceremonies of the church, to attend public worship, and once again, to receive Holy Communion. Uh, you know, going back to my, my dear friend who was so concerned about the uh, irreducible aspects of, of, of what it means to be a Christian. Um, like what's the... Yeah, what's... <laughs> what's the minimum membership? $5 a month, <laughs> one workout per year. Yeah, one workout per year. Well, that's what I want. That sounds kind of medieval, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Another, another great uh, devotional aid, which, which um, many of us use, is called St. Augustine's Prayer Book. Again, these are not exhaustive lists, but just are things that are readily at hand uh, for, our, for our practice, for our help in prayer and in, in uh, devotion. It, it actually lists six precepts of the church being the irreducible minimum of, of Catholic practice in the Anglican tradition. Uh, one of Mass, to assist at Mass. Uh, every Sunday in the Holy Day of Obligation. Two, of fast and abstinence, to keep the fast and abstinences prescribed in the prayer book according to normal Catholic custom. Of confession, which is, you know, sort of a third rail even this these days. Uh, to seek sacramental absolution when needed for mortal sin. And at Easter time to do so as a matter of obedience to the normal Catholic custom within Anglicanism. Of communion, to receive Holy Communion at least once a year. There's that kind of medieval piece. Uh, but during Easter time, but uh, we would say, I think nowadays, um, as much as you can, right? You know, the, we're calling this the irreducible, right? Of alms given to give to give regularly to the support of the church and the ministry, and of marriage to keep the church's law of marriage. 
And so we have uh, these duties among us, not uh, to derail our sense of relationship with God, with each other, which is oftentimes, I think, we're, uh, a sense that we, that we might come from, uh, but in fact to enable and, and to uh, encourage our, the depth of our spirituality, the depth of our relationship with God. In, in fact, as Father Matt said, our union with God. And so uh, one of the ways that we could look at obligation, obedience as biblical is looking at one of the churches in the New Testament as a case study. And certainly there's a lot of, a lot of material that we can go into, but we had a couple of thoughts about Corinth. That. We're going to talk about obedience and pick perhaps the most disobedient church <laughs> yeah. in the New Testament. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, uh, a little bit, of, just a little bit of, of, of context about Corinth. I find the fact that Paul is so willing to work with them, yeah. right? I mean, they're sleeping with prostitutes. They're profaning the body and blood of our Lord in the Holy Eucharist. Lots of problems going on there. He doesn't send them a letter and say, you know, you guys are done. Yeah. You're not real Christians. Get out. No, he says, because you are real Christians, because yeah. this is your identity in Christ, we got to get things back on board. Yeah. And that's so encouraging to me because I'm an imperfect person. Right. And I want, God, <laughs> I want God to extend to me the same mercy and grace that he extended to Corinth through the through Apostle Paul. Paul. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and how many, I mean, how, scholarship will tell us how many letters were shared with, with Corinth, with Paul. You know, was, was it four, I think they correct? say four typically. Yeah. It's the word on the street. The word on the street, yeah. And so there's a, there's a sense of when you read First uh, and Second Corinthians that this is a real relationship between the Apostle Paul uh, and a people. And, and um, one of the things that I think grieves Paul, especially if you uh, read First Corinthians and definitely Second Corinthians, uh, is that it, the, the relationship breakdown really grieves Paul. And one of the things that... Um, that he's trying to draw them back into by work uh, by the work of his admonition is obedience to his leadership uh, because you know he basically planted this church uh, and his leadership as an apostle and therefore his own apostolic proclamation of the crucified Messiah that proclamation of uh, an obedience to the crucified Messiah over against some of the other teachings that were finding their way in to that church in Corinth. Yeah, there seems to be in Corinth this attitude that because they have been united with Christ and they're participating in the liturgical and sacramental life of the church, that they're good. Yeah. There seems to be this, they're having the same problem, but in a different way that you see the Pharisees having in the Gospels where, well, since we descend from Abraham, we're sons of Abraham according to the flesh then we're the people of God and that's irrevocable and like, we're good, you know, kind of attitude. Yeah. And Paul, he says, and I would argue that 1 Corinthians is really all about the Holy Eucharist. It's, it's a Eucharistic book. Sure. And so he has this great section in 1 Corinthians 10 where he says, I want you to know, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. 
and all ate the same supernatural food and all drank the same supernatural drink. So in other words, they participated in the sacramental life of their day. He says, nevertheless, this is verse 5 of chapter 10, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Then later in verse 11, now these things happened to them as a warning, but they were written down for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages has come. So it's this lesson, it's really a stern warning. And elsewhere he says, you know, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. And he's calling them to holiness. Mm-hmm. And he's calling them to live out their identity in Christ. And he's actually saying that the stakes are higher for us than they were for Israel according to the flesh because the greater the revelation, the greater the responsibility. Right. And then he tells them in 2 Corinthians, what we call 2 Corinthians, he says that we are all going to, and he's writing this again, he's writing this to Christians. Right. We are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for the deeds done in the body, whether good or evil. And so there's this accountability. I don't get from the surface reading of the text, and I don't get from the patristic interpretation of these texts, or even the deep, you know, mind-bending, historical, grammatical (laughs) exploration of the text that Paul is saying, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Right. And we we have that attitude in the church of, yeah, "Yeah, whatever. And here's the question. Do you have to obey your Lord? That's the question. I mean, that's really really what this is all about. Right. And the answer, of course, is yes. Well, for Christians. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it, and, it bears and that's out. a response to yeah. grace, right? And it bears out in the life of the church. Uh, you know, it, 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 the life of holiness, and this is what he's talking about. I think in First Corinthians twelve and thirteen, the life of holiness is a life that is uh, really lived out an obligation, obligation to each other. You know, and so um, the idea, uh, for example, we read in First uh, Corinthians twelve the the list of these gifts, right, and and. We can assume, I think, therefore, that uh, this listing of gifts is, is gifts that are happening. These, the, Spirit, the Spirit is falling on the church in Corinth and doing all of these amazing things in and through them, but they're kind of misunderstood in how they're supposed to be used. But God is so gracious, he's just like throwing these things at the, throwing the gifts at the people, and the people are kind of using them poorly, right? And so uh, because there, there's dissension, there's problems in the church, there's problems uh, with with arguments and factions, and people are not doing them together for the health and edification of the church, which is what they're there for, right? And so when he comes to church, uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 13 and talks about the gift of love, the obligation of love, the duty of love, it's to keep this church together. It's to keep the people of God doing what they're supposed to be doing in the world, which is to proclaim and live in the resurrection of our Savior Christ. In looking at Corinth and extrapolating hence, you know, even now, looking at our church, churches around us, that have all these kinds of problems of dissension, of arguments, you know, what is the answer? Well, Paul would say, 
the obligation of love, the duty of love, the hard work of the gift of love. And so, um, and, and again, <laughs> those, that is only produced in us by the work of the risen Christ. And so, um, and I hope that we hear in that conclusion, uh, in this conclusion, that that is the gospel in our obligation, in our duty, the law of love, that a life lived in obedient service, duty-filled as it is as Christians, is lived as announcing that Jesus is Lord rather than Caesar, because, um, which is really good news if you know anything about Caesar. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That Jesus is Lord, that he is risen, that he is for us, and that he means to draw a people together to do this pilgrimage into the great union with Christ, that beatific vision. Father, what is the beatific vision anyway? It's beholding God uh, as he is, as much as we can as finite creatures without being... (laughs) evaporated or ex- exploding. But I mean, the beatific vision, I mean, I would argue, is the apocalyptic vision of the crucified sure. and risen Messiah. But we Did get I say a, what you wanted me to say? Or a little bit. Yeah, that's no, good. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's perfect. Well, and, and, and think about how we just said a few minutes ago that the, 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 the duty, the obligation of being with the brothers and sisters of Christ on a Sunday, that foretaste, even participating in the beatific vision present for us in the sacrament, yeah, I mean, in as much as we're saying, yeah, you got to do it, but we're also saying, why wouldn't you want to? Yeah. You know? And so obligation, therefore, becomes in its way joy. Strange as that sounds, but again, God does this by reorienting the ways of our hearts, and as Father Matt says, cooperating with grace. And that's how we become like Christ, because Christ's joy. And not joy in a sort of shallow sense, right? Was to do the will of the Father. Yeah. So if we want to be like Jesus, and we do, and if we're united with Jesus, then we will do the will of the Father and we'll want to. Yes. That's right. Uh, Very good. And so uh, we have taken on the obligation, perhaps, and indeed the joy of, uh, of this next and final segment as we do our, our work with a brief lectionary brainstorm, our first pass at the, uh, at the lectionary, the lessons for the week of 11th Pentecost, Sunday, August 25th. And um, my, my thought, uh, <laughs> as, our, as is our want, we do you know, five minutes real quick before we record so that we uh, can just get a quick look at, 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 at the scriptures. I looked at Isaiah, um, Isaiah 58, Uh, which begins, if you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. And when I read that, and that's just the beginning, when I read that, um, I read about repentance. I read about doing as God means for us to do. And And I see that what, the end result is, is our flourishing, our perfection, our beauty even now, uh, that that which has been marred, in our case perhaps even by sin, 
will be restored by nature of our repentance and our desire to do as God commands. Um, you know, extrapolating forward to, uh, to Jesus' ministry, were it that we could uh, follow after him more completely, that our repentance would be that much sweeter and our lives reflect more fully um, the grace, wisdom, beauty, truth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Thanks. Awesome. <laughs> and also, if you, if you read through the, the epistle, which is Hebrews 12, you see that emphasis on much of what we've been talking about of, of obeying uh, our Lord. But I want to land the plane, if you will, uh, in the gospel reading. And it was so interesting. It's about uh, the woman with the spirit who was crippled uh, for 18 years. Uh, this is Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I always like to see, what did Augustine say about the gospel? <laughs> yeah, good plan. <laughs> and I was anticipating, you know, he's going to allegorize these 18 years. I'm like, I'm just excited to see what he does with it. And so he brings up the fig tree that had three years to bear fruit earlier in the gospel. And he said that the three years represents the three ages, you know, the age before the law of Moses, the age under the law of Moses, and then the age of grace. And then he says the same sort of thing is at work uh, in Luke chapter 13, because it mentions the six days of creation. Six times three is 18. You have the 18 <laughs> years. And so typologically and allegorically, the suffering of this woman is the suffering of humanity, because it says, uh, a daughter of Abraham whom Satan bound for 18 long years. He's saying, well, this is humanity yeah. who now Christ has come and is making us well, giving us uh, the medicine of the gospel. Because you have, of course, in the fathers, that emphasis on uh, salvation really as medicine, medicinal right. metaphor as opposed to uh the juridical, juridical. Not, not as opposed to it, but sure, it's just but more of an emphasis, emphasis on, right. That's right. on you know, the church as this hospital for sinners. If a contemporary preacher brought that to me uh, numerologically... I'd be like, garbage! Oh, garbage! <laughs> get out of here! Trash! But, but Augustine, Augustine says it, yes. man. I'm good with it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And then, of course, if, uh, if, so if you're interested in uh, the, the other readings, we are using track two from the, uh, Episcopal, or from the Revised Common Lectionary. Those will be in the show notes. Um, and uh, thank you so much for listening today. We hope that it has been edifying uh, and encouraging to you. We pray that you would join us for worship if you're around us. Again, we are uh, real priests with real jobs and real churches. And um, as we close, let's pray together St. Augustine's uh, night prayer. Let's do it. Keep watch, dear Lord. With those who work or watch or weep this night, and give thine angels charge over those who sleep. Tend the sick, Lord Christ. Give rest to the weary. Bless the dying. Soothe the suffering. Pity the afflicted. Shield the joyous. And all for thy love's sake. Amen. All right, another one in the books. That's one plus three. That's wait. That's two. What is it? Episode two. Yeah, let's do episode zero doesn't count. All right. <laughs> Bye. Blessings.